Thank you for joining us again. You know, it's Chase and Josh with Factor Fantasy. That's Chase and I'm Josh. And we're here to give you episode 7 in season 2 of The Witcher today. Really excited. We're kind of coming to the close of season 2. Only this week and next week's episode left of the contents. Then we're going to do something fun with it afterwards before we move on to something new. And I'm really excited to kind of really dig in and dive into it here. But before we do and before we give the recap of where we left off last week... I'm going to turn it over to Chase for him to say a couple words, and then we're going to go after it. Yeah, man, it's uh, it's been really cool being on this long arc here, and kind of interesting how time flies. <laughs> you know, we only got this week and next week left, and then that's it for The Witcher Season 2. So uh, it's been an awesome ride. I really enjoyed the way we did it compared to, you know, last year we just had that one big one-shot episode, but... Now we've been really been able to take our time with it and really enjoy the ride on this run here. So, but I'll turn it over to Jay Nelly. Uh, thanks for sticking with us today, and let's let's get it going, man. Sounds like a plan to me. Uh, before this all recap, let's get our glasses in the air, raise a little toast, a uh, little Mally in the Chally for the fans, and uh, we're gonna dive in in just a second. Malice in the Chalice, man. So to kind of give a quick recap of where we were when we left off with episode six. If you guys remember, episode six kind of opened with them fighting the Chernabog there. That was kind of cool. We went over that detail, that little battle. And then that crazy thing that happened in K-Morin where Rience, like that fire mage, came through and kind of destroyed everything with Vesemir's ass. And the biggest news of that was they he stole Cirilla's blood, which if you guys have been keeping up with the series and with us here, you know that her blood is a key to creating more witchers and the witcher mutagen. So... That's a big deal there as well. Uh, on top of that, like the, the bigger other things too is when they went to the, the temple of Melatelli, we had like Nenica there. We're trying to get Cirilla some training and figure out if we can get this whole uh, magic chaos thing flowing for her. Uh, so they kind of get that little introductions there with Nenica up there. And um, we get a nice little reunion between Geralt and Yennefer for the first time since season one so we're almost at the end of season two here where they finally get it only three episodes left until the end so it was kind of cool how they kind of kept that distance for a while like how the show did that uh then we had Istrid over there kind of going through with some they were interesting people right there they seem to be i don't know if they were historians themselves but they had a lot of uh lost works in their possession and they started going over some things and figure out that the prophecy actually didn't uh, wasn't referring to a weapon, it was referring to a person, and I think that's going to be huge going forward as well. And then we kind of have the big battle at the end where in the Temple of Melatelli, we've got uh, Rience, the Fire Mage, and the uh, Michelet, Michelet brothers going after Cirilla, and then Geralt kind of does his thing, fights them off. Cirilla is able to use magic consciously for the first time through the Orbuculum there, and she opens the portal. Her and Yennefer walk through. Yennefer kind of stabs Geralt in the back a bit because Geralt had just finished off everyone. He tried to get to the door and tells her to stop and she said she can't and then she goes through the door there and then that's kind of where we end up here. So as of right now, uh, Geralt has lost Cirilla. She's with Yennefer. We're going to figure out how to kind of see in today's episode where that kind of turns and goes and that's kind of where we're at. So uh, buckle up guys. We're going to kind of jump into episode 7 right here. Like Chase said, I'm going to go ahead and take us through this one, going through the quick recap summary, go highlight all the big points here, some of the things that I think are going to play a big role in the future and things to highlight that are easy to miss. And then we're going to kind of go over our debates and kind of finish up with some, you know, maybe interesting things here or there. But 
Uh, without further ado, let's go ahead and jump into episode seven. And this episode really opens with Geralt going over the Michelet brothers' bodies and seeing that they had Redanian crowns on them. And I thought that was really important to note because Redanian crowns they only come from obviously Redania, so meaning they're probably involved in some way, shape, or form. And we're going to learn more about that here towards the end of this episode of why that's kind of a big, a big moment. Uh, but anyways, Netika is upset and she thinks that she's failed the goddess of fertility and harvest because blood was spilled in the temple. And so Geralt asks Netika for his weapons and tells Netika that he needs to find Cirilla. She kind of puts magical herbs on Geralt's open wound and they look to the broken uh, orbuculum. And we got a little dialogue here where Netika says, how did it break? And Geralt responds, well, she does that to things. Nanika said back to him, well, if you, what you say about that girl's power is true, you can't help her. And Geralt kind of just ignores her and says, I'll find my own weapons. And Nanika stops him and says, what I mean is, Siri needs more than you can give her now. And Geralt responds, I swore to protect her. Nanika, I will not sit back and wait for something worse than a rogue mage and his agenda to happen to her. And Nanika asks him, well, do you believe Yennefer means to harm the girl? Geralt says, I wish Yennefer knew of the balance you spoke of. More than you know, I wish it. But I learned my lesson about Yennefer and wishes. And for me, that was a little Easter egg back to season one where they had that run-in with the djinn that would grant the three wishes. So I thought that was kind of funny how they put that out there. Uh, anyways, Netika kind of continues on and says, well, sometimes we assume the worst because we fear to hope. How can I help you? And Geralt tells her that I need you to open a portal. And so that's when the scene cuts to Cirilla and Yennefer. And Cirilla recognizes something on the wall and says, Zola. And this place, it's got another full circle from season one here. When we find out that this was the woman's house that took her in, that had the son, and then like had that guy that came back who happened to play Yorn in Game of Thrones. Remember that? He's like dragging back on the cart there, and that's where they heard she first heard Yennefer's name in the dream, and Geralt found her outside the woods. That was the house, and they're in there uh, now. And and so like that feeling of safety and security is why the portal took her there, is what Yennefer tells her. And so I look around the house, and Siri sees the charred and burnt remains of the family that lived there and took her in, and obviously she's very distraught. Uh, and Yennefer screams, like, 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 whispers to herself, like, firefucker. Like, you know, so she thinks it was Rianne's the fire maid who did it. And Cirilla's confused because she didn't think anyone knows that she's alive except for Nilfgaard. And while we went over yesterday, there's so many people that know she's alive now. It's like, there's, like, no longer a well-kept secret here. Um, so Yennefer kind of goes on with this whole... A notion that Geralt could could have been captured, which we know to be false, and we know that she's kind of lying about it because he told her to stop at the end of last episode. So she knew he was fine and that he didn't get taken, but she's keeping that information close to the vest because she has her own agenda with Ciri. So Cirilla, uh, Yennefer tells her that if Nilfgaard has Geralt, that they'll have kept him alive to lure Cirilla there, and it would be at the nearest outpost, which would be Sintra, where of course Cirilla is really, like originally from, and where that whole crack in the monolith happened. So Cirilla tells Yennefer that she has fantasized about going back, finding the Black Knight, and, and uh, stabbing her sword through his throat until his feathers were soaked in blood. I wonder if that's going to be a, a foreshadow. I wonder if she's going to be the one to end up killing Kai here later on. Uh, that's a, maybe a question for a later date, but something I thought was kind of cool and want to notate there. Uh, kind of continuing on, she understands that Geralt wouldn't want her to go and that he wanted to avoid danger. But Yennefer is being really sketchy, saying Geralt will hold out as long as he can. But like I said, she knows firsthand they don't have Geralt because Geralt defeated the Michelet brothers and caused Rance to flee and got to her in time before she went to the portal. So she's making Cirilla worry for no reason except to use Cirilla for her own advantage. And Yennefer tells Cirilla they must go to Sintra together. And Cirilla responds to Yennefer and says that she has to go alone because everyone that tries to help her ends up getting killed or hurt. 
And so Yennefer was like, well, I'm not leaving your side. And so that's when they grabbed the horses. And then we have that old woman, that, that, that voice in her head that says, that's right, bring her. Chaos will be yours. And that's when the title sequence hits. And after the title sequence, we get that scene. It cuts to Desea and Vilgefortz at Aretuza. Apparently, they're now sleeping with each other and, and involved, so that's cool. Didn't know that. Uh, but Tissaia hasn't told him what Triss told her at the end of the last episode, so she's kind of keeping some information from him, and we're going to see how that kind of blows up and plays out later in just a little bit. But uh, Tissaia tells him, and this is some dialogue between the two, like, our new position of authority means new responsibilities. I don't want to burden you. And so what we learn from that is they got Artorius and Stregobor seats after all. So we never got to see the whole council play out or the voting take place, but now we're just we're getting told here, and that's one of the things maybe I got a little bit of issue with. Like, like take us through the whole thing. That could have been a really cool scene, thinking about like you know coming down to a last vote or like a big like struggle, power struggle in the Brotherhood. It could have been a lot of things, and I don't know, I kind of have an issue with it. But apparently, we're just gonna accept the fact that they got them, and they're just gonna let us know like on the breeze there. But okay. Anyways, Fogelford says, "Our <laughs> new position of authority doesn't change the fact that I love you. Your pain is my pain." And Tissaia tells him we have an unexpected visitor, and Vilgeforce asks who, and Tissaia tells him it's Dijkstra. Redania must be up to something. And little does she know, Redania is absolutely up to something. But the scene then cuts to Frangilla and Hack, and right on cue, they talk about Redania and the possibility of them implanting a spy right after we hear Dijkstra's name in the previous scene. So it's kind of funny, because as we know, Dijkstra did implant a spy, and that was Dara the Elf. But... To kind of talk between Fringilla and Hack here, they have a really kind of growing tension. Uh, he does not like Fringilla at all, and like I don't think Fringilla necessarily overly dislikes him. She just wants to be respected, and he like really doesn't want anything to do with her. And so she ends up taking like matters into her own hands later on. But in this moment here, she tell like, asks uh, Hack, "How can you be sure that Redania has implanted a spy?" And Hack responds back to her and says, "Because it's what I would have done." First it was elves, and then half-breeds, now spouses, sympathizers, pouring through our gates daily, virtually unchecked, a gift-wrapped opportunity, courtesy of you. And Pagillo says, well, we need to rebuild our army. And Kahir steps in at this point and says, yes, I agree, but let's do it wisely. If we bring outsiders into the fold, we must ensure their allegiance. Half of the elves did not muster for training this morning. And Pagillo kind of reminds them, well, the celebration of the child's birth went late into the night, and Hack again kind of roughly and rudely says, oh, grand. So now we're larding up with pointies who either can't hold their drink or can't follow orders. And Frangilla says, I, I will talk to them. And Hack gets back on her ass and says, you are not their commander. And he looks to Kahir and says, she should remember that and walks away. So he's like got no respect for Frangilla at all. And, you know, we're kind of seeing this little power struggle here between, I, I, I really think that Hack is the one kind of, starting the descent between Kahir and, and Fringilla. You know, Kahir's, like, trying to kind of play the, both sides. Like, yes, like, Fringilla, your uh, thoughts are, are valid, but we also need to think about this here, too, where Hack's like, nah, fuck you, Fringilla. Fringilla's like, dude, what the fuck's your problem? So, anyways, uh, to kind of go on from that, Kahir takes Fringilla to the side, and he says, uh, Fringilla, he's right. The generals, they know this is unsustainable, and Amir arrives tomorrow, and I will not have him met with chaos and insubordination. Vangelo replies, I said I'll handle it. All of this talk of loyalty, why is it the generals I am doubting the most? Should I count you among them, Kahir? Kahir says, everything I do is in service of the white flame. And Vangelo asks him, what do you think I'm doing? Kahir responds, Vangelo, if I were against you, do you really think I'd be telling you all of this? And Vangelo asks him, well, what would you have me do? Kahir says, if the elves refuse to serve, let me deal with them. The generals will respect a strong hand, so will Amir. 
and then like, they take they go up to like the top of the like the like scaffolding there and hack has like a woman over the edge and ends up uh pushing her over and hangs her for potentially being a spy and then walks past Frangilla and says and you call yourself a leader and continues to walk off and the point here is that right afterwards we see Dara. He sees all the people that them they're in the Nilfgaard. Well, they're in Sintra, but the people of Nilfgaard who you know, taken over Sintra, they've hanged a few people. And he looks nervous because he knows they're looking for an infiltrator, and, and he is the infiltrator. And so now he's watching people die for him who are actually innocent. And it's got to take some level of toll on him. And I think we're going to kind of come up a little bit later of where that really stands with him. So... Then the scene cuts to Yaskier, and he's a prisoner in this little jail cell, and he's singing his own little song, So Lock Me Up. I'm not going to do it. Chase likes to do the songs here, but, you know, I'm just going to keep going past <laughs> it. Uh, but he annoys the guard so much that the guard gets up and walks off to, to take a shit, and that's when Geralt appears around the corner and makes quick work of the guard, and Geralt frees Yaskier, and Yaskier says, Fuck it, and hugs him, and... You know, we finally get their, their reunion for the first time since season one as well. So a lot of things are kind of coming full circle in this episode, and I think that's why I enjoy this one a little bit. Uh, you know, Geralt says, I've missed you too, and he asks, asks him, what you, or he asks, asks Geralt, what are you doing here? Geralt says, we don't have time, we need to go. And he asks her, says, are you sure? And Geralt says, yes. And he asks her, says, because the last time we saw each other, you basically told me to fuck off, remember? And you left me on a mountain. Have you seen these boots? I mean, I pretty much just slid all the way down that hill back to Cangorn. And Geralt says, Yaskier. And Yaskier says, don't fucking Yaskier me. I'm talking to you. This is how this works. And Geralt says, I need your help. And Yaskier's like, fine. <laughs> but first, and then he turns to the rats that he was singing with, <laughs> with his new song. And he says, gentlemen, it's been an honor. And he turns back to Geralt. And this is like one of my favorite parts. Of this. He's just so funny. He's like, what? I made new friends. Get over it. Jealous. <laughs> but uh, before I kind of go any further than that, I want to ask the Chase, do you have that song written down? You normally do, so I don't know of if you do or not. Of course I do. All right. Well, I know I know this is your your place, man. I'm going to take a setback, and I'll let you go through that song if you want. It was – you know what's funny? Because I was trying to stay away from Factor Melody because – Let's be real, Jay and Ellie and I know we, we're not trying to go out for American Idol here, but sometimes, you know, and what's funny too is I always see kind of, Jay Nelly's more like uh, like uh, the fact, straight to the point guy, kind of like Geralt in the show, like kind of drives the show. I'm like the Yaskier. Yeah. <laughs> That's literally who we are. Uh, but he said, so he said, and lock me up and sock me up. And throw the way a key because you're through fucking with me. And it was basically the same line over and over and over is basically all I wrote down. So I did write down the entire thing, but uh, but <laughs> but that's basically what he said. I was trying to be a little bit more efficient, and I knew Jay Nelly was uh, taking this one, but it was just... Uh, lock me up and sock me up and throw away the key and then something because you're through fucking with me. But uh, he's a very well, interesting guy, I would say. You know what? Let's just give him two minutes of the actual song here. Give me one second and I'll put it up. <laughs> Go for it. Go for it. All right, guys. Bear with me one moment and we will go ahead and start this up here. It's been a long time traveling. Roads that lead to nowhere With hopes and dreams 
Sometimes it takes a prison cell The tricks and tales the traitors tell To help you see that freedom Is all you've got So lock me up and soak me up And throw away the key Go fuck yourself, you horse and Cause you're through fucking with me <laughs> that was awesome. So what I learned from that is I have a few more verses to learn <laughs> before I go out for American Idol, but I feel like that's something I would do <laughs> if Gene Ellie ever left me abandoned on a cliff. <laughs> he'd come back and be like, hey, we got shit to do. I'd be like, well, I made new friends <laughs> during the meantime. Hello. <laughs> if you like, probably like my dog, I found a stray dog. <laughs> I'd be like, have you met my new friend, Jay Nelly? <laughs> oh, back to Jay Nelly, man. All right, well, from there, the scene cuts to Yennefer and Cirilla, and they're galloping on horseback. They're going way too fast because Yennefer has Cirilla convinced that Nilfgaard has Geralt and Sintra, which, of course, we know is not true. Yennefer tries to get her to slow down and says, these horses are no good to us dead. And Cirilla says, well, the longer this takes, the more time I have to think about what they're doing to him. And Yennefer tells her, well, you two seem to have quite the bond, to which Cyril responds, I mean, he's a grump of the First Order, has the social graces of a wild boar, but he's... And Yennefer kind of finishes her sentence and says, he's your protector. Cyril says, he's the father I never had. When I'm with him, I don't feel alone anymore. And Yennefer says, I know what you mean. And Cyril asks her, what... what was between you and Geralt and Yennefer says longing regret hope and fear I don't think I've omitted anything <laughs> since Cyril says so you love him too let's go and then they start kind of going back not at full gallop but trotting a little bit and from there the scene cuts to Sintra with Philavandril and Francesca in the room holding their baby and they're trying to come up with some names for the baby and Dara serves them some food and tells them that the name Lucerne is pretty because they were going between a few different names. Uh, I know that uh, I, I forget the names they were going through, but Fia, I think was it Fiona was one of them, and then uh, Dara says Lucerne, and, and Philavangela had one too, and she said absolutely not to that name. But anyways, Frangela shows up and gives Philavangela and Francesca a hard time because their fighters didn't show up for training that morning, and we saw Frangela take the brunt of that blame from Hack earlier, and so. Frangilla tells her, tells them, says, I trust that you'll make sure it never happens again. One day is a hangover, two is sedition. Phil Vandro tells her, many of us have had a change of heart. Frangilla gets kind of angry here and says, well, then you change it back. Phil Vandro says, I never intended to fight for Nilfgaard. Francesca convinced me, but now she has given me a far better reason not to fight. It's time for us to rebuild, to grow strong again. And Frangilla says, or asks, like, have you forgotten who brought the child into the world and who made Sintra safe for the elves? Philavandra tells her, we're grateful. It's time for us now to add to our numbers, not to die in someone else's war. Frangilla tells him, our war is your war. This is where Francesca kind of cuts in and she says, Frangilla, as a friend, I must ask, are these your words or Cahir's? 
And this is like when uh, Phil Evangel at this point kind of gets up and walks out. And Vangelo says, Francesca, the bargain we struck in that hut, it is working. You have your baby and I have Amir's favor. It can all stay this way if our bond remains strong. And Francesca replies, as I said, we are friends. I value the bond we have. But family, blood, that's the only bond that can't be broken. And that's the one I must protect. And from there, the scene cuts to Eratuza. And Dijkstra is walking the halls with Stregobor, Artorias, Tissaia, and Vilgefortz. And they're discussing the new baby elf born from Francesca and Phil Evangel and delivered by Frangilla. And so we actually do get confirmation that Vilgefortz here and Tissaia are, like, the, like you know, Vilgefortz is the chair and Tissaia is co-chair there. Um, but I thought it was interesting because we, we have basically this growing tension between Vilgefortz, Tissaia, and then Stregobor and Artorias. And Stregobor and Artorias see the baby as a huge threat and say it's a beacon and a potential enemy, one that has already aligned with their other enemy, Nilfgaard. And this is where Dijkstra kind of takes center stage here and says, well, in my line of work, this week's gossip is next month's news. For instance, I heard that one of your former students has returned. Foltis Mage. Triss Marigold, is it? And there's a pause here. And this is a big moment because this actually leads me to believe that it was Dijkstra who hired Lydia to break Rience out of prison because the men that were with Rience at the temple had Redania currency and Dijkstra is the mage of Redania so of course he would know about Triss since she faced off with Rience at K. Morin. So that kind of leads me to, like that's where my thought process kind of goes there. And then Vilgefortz, this is news to him, he, he asks to say, he's like, Triss is here? And to say it responds to him says, she fell ill in Tamaria and has come here to recover. And Dijkstra knows a little bit more than he's letting on. Again, that's what me, leads me to believe what I just said like, a couple of seconds ago, because he responds, oh, hmm, yes, there are many tales, uh, many, there are tales of many a strange stomach ailment this spring. All of them coming up in the mountains, though. Give her my best. And that's like a little wink to Kay Morin being in the snowy mountains. So he's, they're kind of playing like verbal warfare here with each other, like saying that they know things about each other without actually saying it out loud. So it's really kind of cool playing like politics to the deepest level here. And then that is where Tissaia kind of goes back at him and says something kind of similar in that same vein where he, she goes, Oh, I will, as long as you give King Vizimir ours for this distracting information about the baby. Will there be anything else, Dijkstra? And then the scene cuts to Rience with Lydia and a crow. And Rience says, As soon as Cyril disappeared, I knew my chance had passed, so I fled. And Lydia asks him, fled? And he said, I was aided, of course. I didn't have the time nor strength left to open a portal myself. Lydia responds to him and says, yes, well, he hasn't been here in days. He said he'd come. And Rance reminds her and says, and you said I'd get to meet him. Lydia reminds him and says, well, if you brought the girl, so this is on you. And Rance says, well, or it's on you. Perhaps you don't have as much sway with him as you imagined. Lydia replies, no, it's part of his plan, the theatrics, the distraction. Rience goes back at her and says, fine, you little lunatic, you can have it. Go run your damn test. If it works, your master will be here in an instant, I can assure you. And Lydia says, do you think? And so Rience gives Lydia the vial of Cirillo's blood. And Lydia says, blood tracing is simple. Mages have been practicing it for centuries, though I admit my test subjects are normally, Rience finishes her sentence and says, dead. She says, precisely. So Lydia pours some of the blood on her fingers and weirdly, like, smells it. Then it, she begins to smoke and burn and scream in agony. It was very strange. <laughs> what did you think of that scene there? Yeah, it was 
it was uh i mean we kind of not giving anything away but <laughs> yeah it's uh kind of full circle <laughs> a little bit with the whole reense thing but yeah it uh it's kind of like tommy two-face <laughs> i guess we'll we'll uh find a little foreshadowing there but yeah it's it was a it was a interesting route <laughs> they decided to take was my take on it yeah i also was wondering like what, what are they trying to do with the blood tracing like what like kind of that was going on like the the point of what she was attempting to do you know and i guess we'll maybe mm-hmm. we'll find that out more next season but uh the scene cuts back to yaskir and Geralt, and yaskir jumps into a lake to bathe because it'd been a while since his last bath and Geralt now at this point needs information on like what happened so he asks uh yaskir what Yennefer was doing in Oxenfurt, and Yaskir tells him that she was saving his life, and Carol's questioning it, because obviously Yennefer and Yaskir, in season one, they didn't really like each other, and so Yaskir says, yeah, I know, I'm as surprised as you are, seeing as I trust her about as far as I could wring her stringy, weird neck, but it's true. She risked her life for me. I always knew there was some deeper feeling beneath all that rage and hair. She, she's got a lot of hair, that woman, and so Geralt <laughs> asks her, like, what's her angle, and Yasker tells him it. Not an attractive one. She was on the run. She'd lost her magic. She was almost tolerable. And that's a big key here. Geralt did not know up until this point that Yennefer lost her magic. So things are starting to make sense in his head, he says. Or he asks, you know, she lost her magic? And Yasker says, yeah, I know. It was great. Unless she was lying. Only just realizing now that she might have been lying. Fuck! Oh, Yasker, you moron. Because if she wasn't lying, then how did she magically disappear into thin air when she was in prison in the whorehouse? And that's when Geralt tells Yaskier, tell me exactly what happened in Oxenfurt. So Yaskier goes to the story and says, look, when the Redania guards grabbed her, she muttered something about forests and mothers and huts, and then she just sort of disappeared. So, And Geralt chimes in with the chant. He says, turn your back to the forest, hut, hut. And Yaskier continues, turn your front to me, hut, hut. Yeah, that's what she said. And Geralt now realizes and verbalizes the fact that she is in league with the Deathless Mother. And Yaskir said, well, she sounds like a hoot. Who is a deathless mother, Geralt? And we got a little full circle here. We all know the name of this woman, that this witch that has been causing problems all season. Geralt tells him it. Volef Mir. The witches were hired to imprison her, the very first witches. They entombed her in her hut. And Yaskir says, but someone's gone and opened up the door. That someone being, and he's insinuating Yennefer. And Yaskir, uh, Geralt said she wouldn't. And he goes, oh, she would. What, sacrifice your child's surprise to get her magic back? You bet your bloated bicep she would. Carol <laughs> <laughs> says, both mirrors a demon that feeds on pain. We need to get to Sintra. And he asks, asking why, what's in Sintra? And then far from up above, like on like the hillside, an axe comes flying down and embeds itself right where Yaskira's arm just was. And so they go up there, and we get again. This is, this episode is full of full circles, man. They come face to face with Yarpin Zegrin and the other dwarves that helped them on their dragon quest back in season one. It was so cool to see him again. Uh, oh, that's great. <laughs> he's one of my, he's one of my favorite like like side characters. Yarpin Zegrin is hilarious. Like curses up a storm, just always seems so angry and like full of like uh, malice energy. Like it's crazy, man. Um, but we learned that Yarpin decided against being the lord of a vassal state in Kangorn and now runs the road for Henselt to protect his convoys. Uh, Geralt asks Yarpin where Lucas Cordo is and that Lucas still owes him money, talking about himself, Geralt. And Yarpin tells him that Lucas Cordo got married and settled down in uh, Mahakam and dropped out of the company. So Yarpin invites Geralt to be their sixth man of the team, but Geralt tells him he can't. And Yarpin gives, he tells me that he needs a horse, and Yarpin gives Geralt the big black horse that was too big for the dwarves. 
And so Yarpin asks the nature of their mission, and Geralt says, well, Geralt won't tell him. And Yarpin rounds up his men and says they're going on an adventure. So he said, fuck the king, we're going on an adventure. <laughs> so he had, he had legit orders that he gets paid very well for from the king. Geralt shows up and says, I need a horse, and they won't, and he won't even tell him what they need it for. And he's like, you know what? We're dropping all responsibilities here. We're going on a secret adventure with Geralt, and that's where we're at <laughs> with there. And that's when the scene cuts over to Yennefer and Cirilla. They come to a broken bridge where they were meant to cross the river. Cirilla doesn't want to double back and find another way around it because she doesn't think there's enough time. Yennefer tells her that there is a way and that she's going to walk her through using her chaos, kind of like a mentor, although she has a secret object- objective. Uh, Yennefer tells her, you can either be too strong to fail or too weak to try. You can do this, Siri. I believe in you. And so Yennefer teaches her the words. Cirilla starts the magic, and it's partially working, but not fully. She starts to bleed out of her eyes. Yennefer tries to get her to stop, but Cirilla is being very, very stubborn and keep going. And she keeps going past when Yennefer is yelling at her to stop, and the blood streaming from her eyes at this point is getting worse, and the bridge she was trying to repair falls apart all over again. And so Cirilla's, like, pissed off, really disappointed at her failure, and she screams out. She goes fuck 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 and like that screaming power that she does and that somehow transported them and the horses across the way so crazy power because even in that beginning part where they were going to rebuild the bridge there they were just going to go uh cyril and yennefer and leave the horses behind well cyril's power got them and the horses all together on the other side in like a, a, (laughs) a, a hundredth of a second so it was crazy and yennefer you know says well that's one way of doing it and Cyril says, I'm so sorry, I, I didn't know what happened. And Yennefer says, when you have powers like this, never apologize. And now we get the scene cutting over to Tessaia at Aratuza with Triss. And Tessaia tells Triss that she saw Cyril of Sintra at Sodden and that she was there with the white-haired witcher. And Tessaia says, the information you told me about Ciri, about what you saw when you performed the Dolduza, who else knows? And Triss says, uh, the other witchers and you, I don't trust anyone else. And that's when Vilgefortz enters the room. And Vilgefortz says, Triss. And Tissaia gets on Vilgefortz's ass and says, no, no, I said I would call you when she's ready. And Vilgefortz kind of like cuts her, out, cuts her off and goes directly to Triss. Says, I need to know everything about the girl now. And Triss like feels betrayed by Tissaia. Looks at her and says, you told him? And Tissaia said, this knowledge, it cannot be ours alone. There's too much at stake. And Vilgefortz, you know, cuts everyone off and says, look, this is important. I need you to tell me everything, Triss. And Triss just walks away again, felt super betrayed by Tessay and just walks out of the room. And this is where Tessay and Vilgefortz have a, have a little tiff with each other. Tessay yells at him and says, you know, she wasn't ready. This is why I didn't want to tell you. And Vilgefortz says, this isn't a game, Tessay. If what she says is true, this child has the potential to end all war forever. And when she falls into the wrong hands, and if that happens, the consequences will be ours to own. And Tessay says, well, damn the consequences, because I made a promise to Triss, and I will not continue to put my girls at risk unnecessarily. And Vilgefortz like, gets in her face and screams at this point. And he says, I wouldn't ask you to if it wasn't necessary. And he died like, with such malice and anger in her eyes. You can see like to say his cheeks flushed. And like she's like shocked that she, he would speak to her like that. He, she's taken aback. And she like starts to walk away. And Vilgefortz kind of runs after her and tries to calm himself down. And, and he says, I, I have always considered you my equal partner, my most trusted confidant. I wish I could prove to you that I'm worthy of the same. And that's when the scene cuts to Artorius. And, we, and a portal opens, and then walks Fringilla. And to me, it was crazy how casual this was. Like, this is Fringilla who just started the war like, against, like, Sodden and is on Nilfgaard's side. They're, like, taking over the continent here, whatever the hell they're doing. And she just casually walks into the portal, and Artorius, like, is like, hey, what's up? Like, he, like, he wasn't, like, overly surprised. Like, it was just really interesting how casual it was. So 
go into some dialogue between Artorius and Frangilia here. Artorius says, You dare show your face here? After lying to the Conclave and attacking us at Sodden? And Frangilla says, My portal has no doubt set off alarms. I don't have much time. And Artorius tells her, So get on with it. What water does Nilfgaard want you to carry for them this time? Frangilla says, I'm not here for them. Or as a mage. Just as your niece. I may need to leave Nilfgaard. And quickly. Arturias asks her, what's changed? Virgil says, an emperor arriving tomorrow with great expectations. I brought in the elves to fight for us, but they've had a change of heart. And Arturias says, so the elven birth has helped our cause, not threatened it, to say it was right. And Virgil says, I care not for the Brotherhood's politics. Arturias responds, and yeah, I do. Triss Marigold returns suddenly without explanation. Do you know anything about that? Virgil says, no, uncle, you're my blood. And that is a bond that is stronger than all others. Please, I am asking you for help. Just for once, will you give it? And Artorius says, I should have stood up for you that night at the ball in Aratusa. I'm sorry. Let's be honest. Whatever is brewing out there, the Brotherhood needs reinforcements in here. If you were to re return, you'd need to plead your case and apologize as well. And Angel says, for aligning with Nilfgaard? Of course. And Arturia says, no, for believing that you could have any impact there at all, my dear. There are those who are obsessed with finding power and those who know their place. You know which one you are, thank gods. You wouldn't have come back here if you didn't. So that was like, kind of disrespectful there. So she basically said, like, you know your place. You know, you, you tried, you failed. Like, you know, I hope you feel dumb enough now you had to crawl back to us. Like, like we can all be good and stuff, <laughs> but you got to apologize. And so there the scene cuts to Dara. And, and he's in Sintra, and he's giving his spy report to Dijkstra's owl. And he's actually having second thoughts about being the spy. He's upset that it costed innocent people their lives, and he wants the peop his people, which you know are the elves, to be happy and safe. And so he tells the owl to tell Dijkstra that he's done being the spy. So the scene then cuts to Kahir, and he's talking with the general Hack. And Hack says, I've had my doubts about Frangilla all along. Amir letting a mage give us orders? Nah, the White Flame will take one look at this disaster and reset the table. If her head's still on her shoulders by morning, I'll be shocked. And Hack looks to Kahir, and he says, You're falling behind. What's the matter? Kahir tells him, like, We're supposed to be on the same side, searching for Princess Cirilla. She's alive, I know it. And Hack says, And we'll find her as soon as we unload Frangilla's dead weight. Kahir says, If we don't, all our heads will be on the ch and then everything goes still, and it's as if everyone in the room was frozen in place. And Frangilla walks in. And then remember, she just had that, that like, little tiff with her uh, uncle Artorius so she's probably fuming at like everyone sees her as someone who's not important in any way shape or form and like she's about to flex her muscles for like, like really one of the first times here in season two she says uh, I have so much resentment for Eratusa, my Eratusa training that I forget that there were some bright spots botany for example where else could I have learned the paralytic qualities of nightshade or how to mask it in a glass of mead my most valuable lesson though came on my last night here. Or not my last night there, when Yennefer of Vangerberg stole the seat of Adern, to which I was entitled, and that taught me whenever a lesser light tries to steal what is yours, and she stabs Hack through the eye with a dagger at this point, but like slowly and meticulously. It was gross. She, she continues on, you do not sit there and take it. And then Volothmir, the old witch, starts laughing in Frangilla's head and says, your power, seize it. And Frangilla then stabs the girl pouring the drink uh, next to him through the side of the neck and Frangilla continues on with her monologue speech and says you must do whatever is required and she grabs another dagger out of the standing man's hand and goes down the table 
to one of the other men sitting and drives a dagger into the base of his skull. And Volof Mir is continuing in Vangelo's head, not as a meek sycophant. And Vangelo continues on her, her crusade here and says, to hold on to what you've earned. She grabs another carving knife and drives it into the neck of the standing man. And he says, how did it come to this, Kahir? I may never know if you were planning to overthrow me or not, but one thing I do know, I am never going back to that dungeon. I would much rather, and then she put this, put this knife in my own eye and just end it all. Amir needs to hear of the treachery I just uncovered. He needs the general that he trusts the most to tell him I was justified. So when he arrives tomorrow, rave. So she leaves the room and only left Kahir alive at that whole table. Then we see a quick scene of Volafmir laughing and put her fingers close to a roaring fire, melting her fingers off. And that's going to be really important here in just a little bit. The scene cuts to Redania, and Dijkstra enters Vizimir's chambers and tells Vizimir about the Owl report saying Dara has had a change of heart about being a spy for them. So Dijkstra says, with all, we have all the information we need. The girl gives you the rightful claim to Sintra, and that makes Redania the most powerful kingdom on the continent. And Vizimir says, or Nilfgaard if they get her first. What about Eratuza? Didn't you go there for something? Dijkstra says, there are some unknown variables in Eratuza. To say it knows of the girl's existence, I'm certain, but she keeps the information very close to her chest, even from Vilgefortz, to whom she helped install and uh, obviously cares for. And Vizimir says, this, the new leader of the Brotherhood, how long that will last is anybody's guess. To say it acts detached, but she lets relationships clout her judgment. Stregobor will take advantage of that if I were a betting man. Vizimir says, if you were a betting man, you'd be betting with my money. I pay you to solve problems, Deeksha, not fill my head with piling bad news. Deeksha responds, not bad news, my lord, Bedlam. And if our goal is to destabilize a continent, Bedlam is good news. Vizmir says, yes, well, let's hope so. For your sake, Deeksha. Deeksha says, trust me, your highness. Elven spy or not, we are in a strong position, and I have many more irons in the fire. That's when the scene cuts back to Geralt, and looks like the dwarves have joined them on the journey, even though they have no idea what the mission is, and Yaskir tells Geralt that for someone who didn't even want the child surprised, she's now turned his world upside down, and Geralt tells him that I thought ignoring Ciri's existence would make everything better, I was wrong, and Yaskir asks him what about Yennefer, and <laughs> Geralt says well, if she's hurt Ciri, I may just have to kill her, and Yaskir says oh well obviously we'll kill her, we're definitely going to kill her, I just haven't found a good enough jabbing stick yet, but what if she's changed too? Look. People do stupid things when they think they're trapped in a corner. Geralt and say stupid things. That's what friends do. They come back. Geralt says, this is different. And I'm sorry, Yaskier. Yaskier makes fun of me. He says, God, you're always so emotional. I mean, it's just yap, yap, yap with you sometimes. Oh, Yaskier, I'm so sad and complicated. And Geralt's <laughs> like, like, shut up, Yaskier. And Yaskier says, you shut up. That is a perfect impression of you, by the way. <laughs> that was excellent <laughs> that was really funny and that's when the scene cuts to Cyril and Yennefer and they're on the outskirts of Sintra right where the monolith was that she screamed and broke in season 1 where you can see the crack in the earth still and uh, Cyril says there was a monolith there the blackest stellocyte and Yennefer asks what happened to it and Cyril said me Yennefer like, looks like taken aback she's in shock she says you did that Siri promise me something if we get separated remember what you have magic it's lodged in you like a spiked arrow. It wounds you deeply, but it's a strange sort of pain, combined with bliss. Trust me, it's all you ever need. It's everything. Strilla says, I want to believe you, I really do, but when you had magic, you controlled the chaos. It controls me. 
and no one's been able to teach me how to use it, and I'm afraid, Yennefer. And this is where Volhamir whispers inside Yennefer's head. She says, so close. Do what you have to do to seize your destiny. And then we have uh, the scene flashbacks when Volhamir appeared to Yennefer Esrilla saying, deliver me to the shattered black door. And Yennefer and Srilla get off the horses and start walking forward. Now the voice is ringing in Yennefer's head and Srilla can see something's wrong. So she grabs Yennefer to stabilize her. And then out, the outside world around Srilla and Yennefer goes dark. And they have this weird telepathic type of conversation. It's like it's just everything kind of fades into blackness and there's one spotlight around the two of them and they're talking like through their minds. And Yennefer says, if you're scared, turn back. And Srilla tells her, that door mustn't be open. You know that. And Yennefer says, I do. And Srilla goes, but you're still leading me there. And Yennefer repeats herself, if you're afraid, turn back. You still have time to turn back. It's not too late. And Srilla asks, and you? And Yennefer says, for me, it is. I had no choice. My chaos. I thought I had to. This is where Cyril lets go of Yennefer, and that takes him out of the telepathic conversation. And Yennefer like, tries to explain herself and says, I'm so sorry, Siri. Don't go. I, I didn't know who you were. I didn't know what you were to him. And Cyril says, I need to get to him. And this is where Yennefer kind of, this is the big reveal. Yennefer tells her he's not there. He never was. And Cyril kind of had things kind of click in her brain a little bit. She says, that mage at Melitelli's, he knew you. Yennefer says, no. And Cyril says, you led him to us. And Yennefer again says, no. And Cyril says, we were in trouble and needed help, and you betrayed us. And Yennefer says, I was stupid and I was selfish. You have to come with me now. Then Cyril, in her very scary voice again, says, I don't trust you. Then the earth starts cracking again, and this time it cracked right up to the outer Sintran walls, cracking a portion of the wall too. So like her powers are absurd. And then the guards sound the alarm, and now six men on horses go rushing out in full armor to investigate what happens. Yennefer tells Cyril that they have to get to the horses, and they start running away, but the guards are on top of them too fast. And so two of them have Cyril pinned down, and she cuts one of them, but the other takes another one takes his place, and she's trapped. The mounted guard is about to strike out with a sword at Yennefer, and then motherfucking Geralt comes out of nowhere and cuts his head clean off, and there's an awesome battle. The dwarves jump out, and they make quick work of the guards. One of the dwarves cuts one of the men's heads off and it lands in Yaskier's hands and I thought that was pretty funny he like dropped it but uh Geralt kills the last two holding Cirilla and after that Yennefer goes running up to him but he kind of like without even looking at her just puts his sword up to her neck and uh like without even like I said this whole time he wasn't even looking at her and he's speaking to her though he says how could you do this and Yennefer says I'm so sorry and Geralt talks to Siri here he says Yarpin and his men will get you out of here and he turns his attention to Yaskir. He says, Yaskir, take her to Kaymorin. Siri knows the way. And Cyril says, no, I'm staying with you. And Geralt tells her, you can't. And Cyril asks, why? Where are you going? And Geralt says, to slay a monster. I'll be with you soon. I promise. And Cyril says, all right. And Yarpin looks to Geralt and asks him, the girl, yours? And Geralt turns to like turns in front of Yennefer face to face with a scary, murderous look in his eyes. He says, "Mine, mine, Zegrin." And like the dwarf, kind of like, oh, "All right," <laughs> he walks off and like does that. And then <laughs> Geralt finally starts talking to Yennefer, and he says, "Say it." And they do the chant. Yennefer says, "Behold the mother of forests, the deathless mother nesting in dreams. Turn your back to the forest, hut hut. Turn your front to me, hut hut." And then before anything happens there, the scene cuts to Francesca, and she has this nightmare of someone in a black cloak with a dagger, and whoever, is, whoever it is is going to kill her baby. 
And so she wakes up and gets off the bed, hears Phil Evangel yelling, and sees him holding the baby covered in blood. It's like her her nightmare like kind of came true. But that kind of happened really rushed and fast. So, and then the, the scene automatically shifts again to back to Voleth Mir, and she's cackling in laughter, and her body is being consumed by the fire. Now we're at this, the, we're with this, uh, Yennefer and Geralt, and we see like the hut has grown dinosaur-like legs and starts like walking forward and stands up straight, and wispy embers float through the hole like, in the roof into the night sky. So Voleth Mir is now this wispy thing of, of spark and flame, and it's he now escaped the hut for the first time since the witchers entrapped her in the tomb. And uh, Geralt, when they, they get transported to the hut, Geralt says to Yennefer, she's gone. Yennefer tells him, well, it's always worked. Geralt says the first witchers imprisoned her in this hut for eternity so she wouldn't be able to escape. Unless, Yennefer asks what? And Geralt tells, him, tells her, unless she's had her fill of pain and desperation, it would have given her new life. And Yennefer asks to do what? And that's when the scene cuts to Cirilla galloping on horseback through the woods in the night, followed by her convoy of Yaskir and the dwarves. And then we see the fire embers flying the, 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 through the crack where the monolith toppled back in season one. And the embers flow out of the crack and into the woods, and they seemingly are in pursuit of Cirilla. And they, they, it kind of goes up, and it catches up. The, the, the embers catch up to where Cirilla is, and they kind of get in front of her, and they seem to be inhaled by her. And then, at the very, very end here, as the embers are inhaled by Cirilla, her eyes glow super vibrant green, and all we hear is Volathmir's evil laugh, and that ends the episode. So, that was like that was a little crazy. A lot of things kind of happening there. Noah kind of took some time going through that recap. So, Chase, tell us a little bit about your thoughts. And Well, first, was there anything else that I missed on there that you wanted to go over, things that you thought, felt that were important that I didn't touch on? And then we'll go through our takeaways. Uh, no, I thought you nailed it, man. The only thing I was going to say that you didn't mention was when, uh, I think his name's Yarfin, the dwarf. Remember when he decided to uh, help them out, he said, normally I'd tell you shit twice and die. <laughs> but we're on the trail. <laughs> I I was so I was just like you. I was so glad Yarpin was back, man. But no, uh, as far as takeaways on my end, I thought some things were a little bit rushed. Like that's where uh, actually Jane Ellie and I were talking to, you know, because we finished this, uh, you know, a little bit of, a while ago. Uh, just thinking as far as this episode goes and some of the routes they're taking like I felt like some things were a little bit rushed it's definitely um kind of keeps you on your toes one thing I liked most about this episode was the full circle moments like I, I loved are they dwarves I'm assuming yarpin in them they're dwarves, right? Okay, gotcha. They were a little too pissed to feel like they were dwarves from another series. We're going to hopefully, uh, you know, <laughs> foreshadowing there. <laughs> but um, uh, very, very angry. <laughs> Just like the movie Elf, he's an angry elf. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, I was really glad with the full circle moments there. I really wish, kind of, that... Siri and Yennefer had a longer arc than they had. She was literally with Siri for one episode. <laughs> like, okay. Uh, I kind of wish it was in a different way, but I guess that's the route they had to take because we kind of 
are starting to see at least the way this perception is rolling in season two you know series kind of like our, our chosen one right like our chosen one of this whole series um but overall i thought like i i've seen a lot worse things in my life to be <clears throat> terribly upset with this i really wasn't like i i was i was intrigued the entire time i thought it was really interesting turn they decided to take with Tissaia and she's sleeping with Vilgaforce now <laughs> so I guess we're gonna find out where that goes but I was kind of on the same line as you like it wasn't my favorite episode but I wasn't like unhappy with it like I thought I, I thought it was good like it was like a solid it was like a solid six to me like six borderline seven <laughs> like it was like that 6.5 like, I was like, damn, that was fucking awesome. That was the best episode I've ever seen. But I was like, you know, I've seen worse. Like, I, I've seen a lot of Harry Potter movies that were worse than that. <laughs> so, like, just saying, you know, um, I thought it was cool. Like, Siri's scream with, like, the blood coming out of her eyes. I just, like, I don't know, man. Like, I don't know how I feel about this whole possession thing. Like, maybe I'm just not that afraid of witches. I'd rather like to see the monsters we're going to see next episode. <laughs> like, that was fucking cool. Get into that next week. But, like, I don't know. Maybe I'm just not intimidated as much by a witch that's been trapped in a fucking hut for, like, centuries. Like, you've been trapped in your house. Like, Hansel and Gretel vibes here. Two kids probably could have walked in there, handed you some candy, and say, stay in there, bitch. You stay. <laughs> but... Uh, the one girl that thinks she's Daenerys Targaryen with elf, all this elf blood and magic trying to find alliances here and there fucks up the whole shit for everybody and lets this bitch out of her house just because she's selfish. Like, that's my problem with it. Just because she's selfish. But I didn't have a problem. You know, give it, a, it was good. It was okay. What'd you think? Well, to that, we're not gonna blame Yennefer for this, like solely there, because remember, like the Volhmir also had like her claws in Frangilla and Francesca as well, and like the biggest thing that allowed her to kind of escape into like the fire uh, is when the baby was murdered, and that had nothing True. to do, with, like that had nothing it, to do with Yennefer. So it's not just because Yennefer was selfish. Like yes, Yennefer is very selfish, and a, a lot of bad things did come to happen from that. But that was like a result of many things, you know, Frangilla killing those people yeah. at, the, at the table. You know, the pain and desperation there. You know, she killed, like, five people right there at that table. And then, yeah. you know, the baby gets killed and Yennefer brings her over there. So it was like a compilation of some things. But Probably would have happened eventually. I'm just saying, like, just, Yennefer, there were other routes you could have gone about this. The, the, I agree. A few things I do agree with you on, though. Like, just having Yennefer in, uh, or, uh, sort of in Yennefer's custody for, like, just one episode seems kind of pointless. It's like... You know, you want to give us the feeling that, you know, what I would have liked to see, just to give my own thoughts on something I would have liked better. I would have liked it to be, like, they have no idea what Geralt's fate is. Like, Cirilla doesn't anyways. Obviously, mm -hmm. Yennefer knows. But, you know, get to the point where it comes to the, it almost comes to a head where she has to make a choice between Yennefer and Geralt, but she had built such a strong bond with Yennefer, it was actually going to be a difficult decision type of deal. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it'd been great to, like, you know, to have yeah, awesome. Yennefer, like, really, like, mold her and train her and help her really develop her magic and build that trust there. And then, you know, 
like Geralt having to convince Cirilla, hey, you know, like she's using you to get her own chaos back. Like eventually, you know, it'd been nice to get that down the road. And like I do agree that that part kind of felt rushed. And you know, it really been nice to see them kind of develop a really cool bond. And almost even for us being like, man, like Jennifer really did help out Cirilla a lot. Like what she how like she went about it was kind of fucked up. But the the fact that they're here now. It's really cool, and they've like, developed this like special connection, and they just didn't. You know, they're just like, "Hey, here's 45 minutes of them trying to get to Sintra." You know that. <laughs> so like that, that was kind of frustrating. Other two things I thought were frustrating too was like I mentioned this earlier in this in this episode is like when we're, we're talking about the Brotherhood here when they had the the vote on who's the ch- new lead chair of the council. Like that'd been really great to kind of see that, and especially because I think it's going to come to a head later on in future seasons. The Brotherhood Council is probably going to split up in a way and go in two different factions or something, like where half of them are on one side, the other half are on the other side. And, like, this would be a really great way to kind of foreshadow that if, in fact, that is what happens. I'm just guessing. I don't really know. But, like, I, like yeah. in my, my head tells me, like, like, there's so much dissension and tension amongst the people in the council. I'd be very surprised if they all stayed on the same page, right? So it had been really cool to see how close the votes were, who was on either side. So, like, maybe if later it comes to a head, like, you know, this would have been a good foreshadow of that. But we didn't really get that. All of a sudden, we just get her at the window, and they're like, oh, you're a new position of power. Like, what? Why? <laughs> like, like <laughs> how did that happen? Like, I don't know. I thought that that was definitely a little force. And then also, what talking about, like, Francesca and Phil Evangel and the baby. The baby was born for only one. Like, you know how long? Is, they said generations and generations of no babies were born, like, of elves. And then within one episode of being born, we're going to kill it that quickly. Like, I think that was smart to do. But just not like right now. Can we get like a season out of yeah. it? Can we get like a little bit? Like bring the elves a little more help so it's even more distraughtful for them when that finally does happen. The baby's like six days old. Like what the hell? <laughs> like, <laughs> like I don't understand. Yeah. Like, like uh, you know. And they just, just do it right away. And, you know, we don't get any explanation about this nightmare dream that she has. So, like, you know, maybe are we thinking, you know, do, can she tell the future? Does she see what's happening in real time when she's asleep? Like. How did that even go about? You know, all of a sudden she wakes up and it already happened. See, it'd be one thing if she had the premonition and she starts worrying about it because it hasn't come to pass yet. That would have been the smart way to do it. But it's like she had the dream that it happened and she woke up and it happened. It's like, what? Why? That, what was the point even like having the dream then? If it already happened, it doesn't matter. Didn't She didn't get a chance to save it or stop it or try to prevent it. Even if you do that and you fail later on, like that's one thing. But what, you basically just wasted our time watching you do a dream of it. Like, because it did nothing to the plot at all. So it was just, I don't know, that, that part really it was interesting. But I did love the part, like, there's a lot of things I did love about the episode. And talking, and, you know, I know you mentioned this too, but a lot of the full circle moments, things coming back from season mm-hmm. one all over again. The doors were awesome when he launched that axe and almost hit Yaskir in the arm and, and put it on there. <laughs> and they decided to just screw off their mission for the king and go on a secret adventure with Carol. I thought that was really cool. The fight scenes were pretty dope when they took out those guards pretty quickly. You know, Cirilla kind of really starting to see how powerful magic is when she transported herself, you know, for across that way with eyes bleeding, coming like blood coming down and all of that. So she's starting to kind of feel that way. Then, you know, Yennefer having to change her heart. Like, yeah, it happened too soon probably, but you know, we're just, like things are, things kind of moved in like a direction. I think they just wanted to get, because they, they did so much building up of this season. Like, it was great build-up. That was a thing. The build-up was amazing. Yeah. But then, like, it's almost like they ran out of, like, shoot, we only got eight episodes. Like, you know, if this was, like, a yeah. ten... Uh, yeah. Like, I feel like if this was, like, a ten-episode season, it would have been fine. Because they could play it out a, over a couple episodes yeah. and do it. But they, like, had to, like, condense it into eight. And they're like, oh, shoot, well, now we're almost at the end of this. We need to get this bad guy in here quick. You know, it's like almost like they had yeah, to, like, push right. the bad guy in there quickly. You know, talking about Volef Mir. And so... 
I, that's what I feel about it. So, like, yeah, may, mainly if they felt some things were rushed and not explained to the point that it could have been, and they could have taken things in the direction that really could have, like, set things up for later on, depending on how long they want to run this show series for. So, you know, I, I would I would kind of put it around a 7 myself, 7 out of 10, um, yeah. if I'm going to rank the episode. That's just kind of my takeaways on it. Uh, I guess that that's where I'll leave it at. You know, do you want to kind of kick us off with your debates here? Yeah, man. I mean... And I don't get me wrong, like I, I it was I, I kind of I'm just kind of like torn, I guess, with where this arc was going. Just quick question before we kick off the debates. Would you have ever done it a different way? Like, would you had made Voleth Mir the big antagonist of this season? Or do you feel like she's almost so powerful they should have pushed her to later on down the road? I think it might be one of those things where. We're getting a little taste of it now, but she, like, I, I think it might be similar to, uh, how do I say? It? Like, I don't know if this is for a fact. I'm just this is my own opinion. But if you guys remember that old the the Sherlock series, there, you know, with uh, Moriarty and, and Sherlock, it was like there was always like he was always the one in the background, the big bad in the background. Like you had to, you had to confront it at some point, right? This person had to be taken care of at some point, but. Uh, like there was also these many bad things, the bad guys you gotta deal with in the meantime before we get. So I think it's more. It could. I, I'm hoping, anyways. This is like more of my hope. Maybe I'm like really just thinking too much into it. I would love it if this was the case that we just got that quick introduction because I don't want to give anything away for next week. But we know what ends up happening with Volthmir towards the end of the season, mm-hmm. and you know for what that kind of signifies. That seems like it'd be an overarching like these are this is what we really gotta worry right. about in the end all be all. But we're gonna do these like side things along the way, and like you're gonna have things getting like you know like many villains and stuff so maybe it's just like a quick introduction and then we know how powerful she is and you know what we see next episode and really what kind of destruction she can cause and now you know knowing what we know from finishing the season how that's combined with something else you know going for the future like this could this should be the really you know the biggest thing like you know, yeah. it's like, like if it's not like how do you get bigger than that right <laughs> like right. you know so no, i don't exactly. know that that's my my thought and my hope but you know maybe i could be wrong maybe they're gonna keep trying to like up the ante every single time i don't know what do you think yeah that's i mean that i would really hope that's the case like maybe this is kind of like the thanos of like the series like but just or the joker right like just keeps coming back for more i would love to see that um the problem is we can't really touch on this much because we get into a lot of that towards the end of next episode which we'll talk about next week uh which is another huge full circle moment like I, I, that's what i love so much about the series is the full circle moments like all these things even going back to nivellin like it's just wild but i'll kick us off on the debates here so we don't uh, ruin anything too much Let's see. (laughs) Okay, so my debate here, I got two. So the first one is, his name's Yarpin, right? You know I'm not the best on names. The dwarf. Yeah, Yarpin Zegrin. Yep. Okay, Yarpin Zegrin. So Yarpin and his, like, crew, do you think they just played, like, a minor role for this episode? Or do you think they were more of introduced in this episode because they're going to start playing larger roles in the future? That's so funny. Like that's actually was my debate too. Like one of my two the debates. So, <laughs> that's awesome. So we kind of killed two birds with one stone there. Uh, but I, I, I would love them to. I, what I think they're gonna be is kind of like a reoccurring role. I don't think 
when I say that, I don't believe they're going to play like a main role going forward and we're going to have them along the way. But like, I think, you know, once a season, we'll get like a quick cameo of the dwarves somewhere and like they'll, you know, be helpful or something. Like, you know, they'll, or not even just helpful, maybe just a quick, like, you know, hey, what's up, hello type of deal. Um, that's what I think. I don't think they're going to be part of the whole thing going forward. I don't think they're going to be like main characters, like, you know, where Geralt is, Yennefer, Cirilla, Yaskier, uh, you know, the mages. I don't see it like that. I see like, like maybe a step below that, you know, like I think they're just going to be ones that come back in to kind of give us that little bit of nostalgia from season one type of like, oh man, so happy to see the dwarves again. Like, you know, I think it's going to be something like that. That's my opinion. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, I, I have to agree with you 100%. I wish it was kind of like the two towers, like, you know, like how Gandalf shows up, but it's like the dwarves and they had like this army of dwarves to save them at the end. But I just don't see that happening. Like, I think they can help to an extent. Just like, you know, they fought off some randos. Like, not very important guys. Like, they kicked their ass with Geralt. Don't get me wrong. But, like, do I see them being able to fight, like, Volathmir? <laughs> Absolutely not. Like, I think you should kick their ass. Like, I just don't think... I think there's a level and an extent... And this isn't putting anyone down. Like, I think they're great for the role that they serve. Like, not everyone's meant to be warriors, I guess. I mean, I guess they're warriors to an extent. But do you think that shit could have taken on a Leshy? <laughs> Probably not, in my opinion. What's your thought on that? Well, that's not, yeah, that's not what their jobs are. Like, so everyone has their role. Witchers are literally paid to kill monsters. Like, that's, those are the people who kill the monsters, are the witchers, because that's what they're paid to do. They were created you know the witches were created for that one purpose to kill monsters so like like yeah these, these dwarves are, are warriors in their in their own right and like they they never discount them in battle you saw them whoop the shit out of the guy the guards at Sintra like that yeah, they had, they had no right. problem there with that but like yeah you know when it comes to, like these big monsters and like these these things that require like some sort of magic these they, they're still human at the end of the day right you know so they it's like it's, you're not going to expect Yaskier to fight Volathmir you know what I mean so right, it's like exactly. I, I think it's yeah. going to be something like that like like you know they're they have like a specific role and you know they they're like badasses for what they are but you know they're not expected i don't think we i don't think we're meant to believe as audience members that we're expected for them to fight these bigger monsters because that's not kind of how they were introduced and we kind of know that the monster fighters are the witchers right we don't see many humans right. at all that don't have some sort of magical ability to try to fight monsters so it's nothing against the dwarves at all it's just it's just not their that's not what we're like they were not introduced to us in that way so that's what i think yeah no, that's awesome. Yeah. Uh, and then my last debate here, I mean, we kind of touched on it. We really kind of answered it like a minute ago. But it's why do you think they chose not to make Siri and Yennefer's character arc together longer? Do you think it's just because it was rushed? Or do you think they really just don't see that route going that way? And they see Siri more as, you know, her development needs to stay with Geralt. I actually don't think either fully. My thing, my thought process is like, if we're gonna take it for what we think it is and, and stay with it where where it came out as she's just had her for that one episode. And my thinking is because what they did show us in this episode is that Yennefer had a change of heart. Like she kind of mm-hmm. like right before it happened, she had this kind of change of heart. So what I think would be the next logical step is. And like this, I don't want to get too much into it because like there's a little bit about it next episode that plays a small role, but I think that if and I'll say if you know I don't want to give anything away, 
if Yennefer and Geralt can get to a point where they're amicable and friendly with each other again, I think maybe they, it's almost like a trio type of deal where you know they'll all be in cahoots together and like you know she'll get the the mage side of training from or like uh, uh, advice and the woman side of advice in life you know the things that happen from Yennefer then like like the fighting side and like how to defend yourself you know with uh, arms and other things you know with from Geralt so I think it, if that if that's what it comes down to uh, I think it's gonna be like a combination of them three being stuck together and we we hear a little bit about it something similar to that next week and I don't want to give it too much away but that's why like if they weren't gonna do like Yennefer and Cirilla to the by themselves for a good four or five episodes which probably I think we all kind of wanted to see that if they aren't gonna do it that's the only way I think you can do it to not make it a disappointment it's like well why even bring Yennefer into Cirilla's life then at all if she wasn't gonna do anything so I guess like my ideal situation and what my brain kind of tells me makes sense is that we're gonna have Cirilla, Geralt, and Yennefer all together and she's gonna get like you know like her cup full from both ends from Geralt you know helping her with some things Yennefer helping out with other things that Geralt can't help with and vice versa that's my thought process what about you? Yeah, I, I I I agree. I think that's uh, I think that's a big one. Um, well, I mean, I don't want to give anything away for next episode. I think it all comes down to trust with Geralt, which that's kind of one of my questions for next episode. We'll start getting into that. But yeah, I think you're right. I gotta agree with you because I, I I mean, and just think of how almost unstoppable Siri would be at that point. Like, take four years, take four seasons down the road. Like, you have, you know, the combat tactical training with Geralt, but then you have the mage ability with Yennefer, and she's been taught both those things, and at the same time, you know, they both even said, you know, you know, the power she has is almost unfathomable. Um, imagine how, like, what a warrior she would be, even if that's not technically the route they want her to go. So, no, I think it's great thoughts, but uh, yeah, your turn, man back to you so for me my debate here and what i want answers to is what the hell is going to be happen with this brotherhood these group of mages you know like that like my biggest thing is that we're starting to see a little dissension here and they, we like i mean well we, my apologies we've seen dissension throughout the whole couple of seasons but now we're even starting to see it between the two people who stuck together all the way through between vilgaforts and Tesea. they were like the two that kind of stuck together and they wanted to kind of bring in a new age of leadership to you know instead of like you know having all the traditional mindsets like let's be a little bit more accepting let's be a little bit open-minded like how can we evolve and progress forward and change for the better as a group of mages right where you know obviously stregobor and artorius have that prejudice against elves and still kind of stuck in like the old mindset of you know you know we gotta do what we've always known type of thing so we've always had that those things kind of go headbutting back and forth against each other but like my question is like like what's gonna happen now? Like as we start to see, there's a little bit of animosity, a little bit of hostility now with Vilgefortz and Tesea. Was it, do you think it was just in that moment? Is that gonna build up over time? Are they gonna end up having to go against each other on either side and like make a choice here? Like where do you see this group of the, this brotherhood of mages going like, in the future? What what is it that you see happening? This is a it's an intriguing question because it's. I would say I would say they're almost going to have like a civil war on the inside, but you're going to have spies that basically play the role. I mean, 
I don't trust Stregobor as far as I can see him at all. Um, and I think I think I think she's ultimately to say is going to side with Vilgefortz because based on what we've seen in this episode, like he's tried to show her how much he cares, like even to the point of screaming at her, but saying, you know, this is how much this could change. So I think she'll ultimately side with that. However, it makes me wonder because this plays a key role here that we're not thinking about. We're not thinking about Yennefer. What if Yennefer comes back into this whole situation down the road with Tissaia and their friendship, and she's able to sway her allegiance a little bit? So it almost makes me wonder if Tissaia is going to play this kind of leadership role with Vilgefortz, why you have Stregobor and the other mages that are trying to corrupt them from the inside. So you have this almost like civil war kind of thing starting. But then Tissaia's leverage starts being swayed more by Yennefer because we've seen their connection there not saying she necessarily trusts Yennefer right now and I'm sure she's really upset with her with what we've seen earlier in the season but I think that's going to come to a boiling point so I almost think that you know this whole thing with like Artura and and the mages and all that stuff like I think they're almost going to disrupt themselves from the inside where basically it's just going to come down to Nilfgaard and the elves. And then you have Geralt and Yennefer and Ciri doing their own thing. And it's just going to backfire. What do you think? I think, in my mind, I think you're on the right track. I think it goes a little bit deeper, though. Because like, there's just so much more at play than just simply like the elves and Nilfgaard. We've got, yeah. we got Redania in play. We've got Temeria. We've got you know the leftovers of what happened at Sodden. Like, we've got Sintra. There's just so many so many different factions that are affected by what what could be happening here you know uh so for me i i do think there's going to be like a civil war type of aspect to it and i think that'd be really cool that you're going to have half the mages on one side and half the mages on the other side and i think i do i agree with you on that point where i i kind of think it's going to go a little bit different is that i i think that the trust is going to be something that Vilgefortz never fully gets from Tissaia. Like, Tissaia herself said, I mean, I mean, I don't want to continue to put my girls in these situations if it was not necessary. And that's when he shouted, like, I, mean, I, was like, I wouldn't ask you if it wasn't necessary. It's so, like, right now, I don't feel, I feel like she cares more for the people, like, for the, her girls than she does for him in certain ways. Like, not like overall, maybe, but like, when it comes down to the inner workings of politics, I think so. She wants to make sure, you know, everything, is, like, her people are safe and that they're not. You know, going on un- unnecessary, you know, trials and struggles and stuff. Because she saw how much this affected Tristis to say, and like it like affected her. So, I think something's gonna happen to where Vilgefortz is gonna is gonna try and try so hard, and, and like you know, he's like not being able to break through that trust barrier because she still wants to protect uh, her people on the side. Like it's almost like she wants to keep them out of everything, but you can't because they're all in a big group together. And so, I think he's gonna end up getting frustrated. And end up having to leave her, and like they're not like they, you know and that's gonna cause some that's gonna cause some friction. I don't know if it does go causes enough friction for Vilgefortz to go completely opposite her, and they battle each other, and they're on opposite sides of the civil war. I don't know that, but I definitely don't see them like lasting, at least not for now. Like, like, that might be like a, a Ross and Rachel thing where they they break up and they you know, <laughs> make up. Like who knows? Like that's possible, but I definitely see like their their relationship ending at some point 
whether permanent or temporary i don't know but i think it's going to become that's going to come to make a big play when it comes to the mages because they're both leaders of the whole group and now they're fighting amongst each other already you know, in that in that way where again artorius and stregobor are kind of like and you, we already saw. Remember when Istrid walked in a couple episodes ago, and Shagerbor was kind of having that big uh, demonstration about Falca and how she was like a, you know, she destroyed a bunch of stuff and trying to like poison the people's minds that he was teaching about this. And Istrid's like, "That's not what happened. I'm a historian. I'm going to tell you this situation." And like, you know, Shagerbor kind of like laughs him off and, and stuff. But that's the whole point about this is that like, like they want. They, they, there's one side of the Brotherhood in faction that wants to kind of keep things as they've always been, status quo, and there's the other side that's like, hey, how can we do this better, and how can we grow and, you know, make a better continent for everyone? And so they, I think that is, that's going to come to, like, that, you know, we're going to have split on either side there, and I think the the workings between Tissaia and Vilgefortz, their relationship, how they interact, and how, how they're thing, if it blows up at the end, if it's like an amical split, whatever the, the whatever sort of dissension is caused between those two i think it's going to be a catalyst for a big play one way or the other when it comes to this this mage war that i think that we're all kind of seeing probably is going to happen you know if we, we if we go through this whole series and the, the brotherhood kind of sticks together without them fighting against each other i'd be very disappointed like this has a lot like you know this has so much built up you know to where we can go in different directions with it hell like you know we could even split it off into a different series and just talk about the brotherhood and go from there like only do like that you know what i mean like they have so much yeah. like, they can work with where if they don't take advantage of it it's a real big shame so i agree with you in that sense that i believe there's going to be a, a split between one side against the other side of the mages you know and they're and it's not going to be one cohesive brotherhood anymore but i think to go a step deeper i think something's going to happen to where like Force is going to really need to say to trust him and she's going to not give him what he needs and he's going to be like listen I can't do this anymore and then for that breakup however that breakup happens and that split happens it's going to be a catalyst for a big play one side or the other for the mages and I think that's what my thought process is uh, going on that one but yeah did you want to say anything on that before we close up shop I could I could see it uh, the only thing I'm also thinking about is we're forgetting about Dijkstra too I don't trust him as far as I can see him either. <laughs> There's something I'm just going to tell you just, just real quick. We'll the, the phrase yeah. and the saying is, I don't trust him as far as I could throw him. I, you oh, can see, okay. I could just want to say that. Like, <laughs> as far as you can see him doesn't make any sense. <laughs> but I just want As far to... as I can see him on screen. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but fair enough. Uh, so that's an interesting... Um, as well like do you think Dijkstra would ever try to get Vilgaforce on his side and try to tear to say and him apart I, I think very very likely that he plays some sort of snake like role in trying to turn people against each other because you saw the kind of innuendos he was throwing back at the say kind of letting her know like I know where your girl was I'm not going to say yeah. it like you know again like and she was saying too like oh I know you're trying to make a play for something you know it's like that like she he obviously has a thing against like to say there and I definitely think he's going to try to worm his way in and turn people against each other. I don't know who, but I do agree he's going to play a very snake-like role uh, when it comes to the, the Mage's Brotherhood there. Peter Baelish at his finest. Yeah, honestly. But now with owls. Love owls on this show. 
<laughs> okay, I'll let Jay Nelly close us out, man. It's good. Yeah, before I do that, though, I really I want what I would like from Chase is him to do some research on that type of owl. Let us know exactly where it is. I'm just kidding. <laughs> so like, for the people, just just some background. If you go back to season one. We had a whole thing on that. <laughs> yes. So good like, time. if you guys want some context on that, like when Chase and I first started this show back in 2020, uh, one of our earlier episodes. We were talking about uh, different level of owls. Like it was, it was funny. Like the, the filming and how it all turned out and played out. It was just, it was really interesting that we were, we closed uh, the episode we talked about on about basically the episode itself had nothing to do with owls. But Chase <laughs> Chase played a mouse in a child's car and went through like a whole different species of owls. What were good for what? I'm <laughs> just like it was just out of control. So we've had this running joke since then about owls on the show. So if it's your first time joining us. You got a little bit of a backstory on that and. You know, speaking about that to kind of transition into, you know, us, like, you know, closing out here, you know, we, this is your first time joining us. Like, thanks for joining by, like stopping by. We hope you enjoyed yourself and want to uh, return back again. And for all the people that have been with us since day one, as Chase coined the term two years ago, you guys are the shields that guard the realms of fantasy. We're very happy to have you. And so, you know, if you haven't done so already, please give us a follow on all of our social media accounts. We have our uh, official at official ridiculous Patronus on Instagram. We have at Ridiculous Patronus on TikTok. We've got Chase and Josh Factor Fantasy on Facebook. We got RP Factor Fantasy on Twitter. RP Factor Fantasy on Snapchat. We've got our own website, which is ridiculouspatronus.blogspot.com. Uh, we've got a backup Instagram page, which is at fact underscore or underscore fantasy. Backup TikTok page, which is the exact same at fact underscore or underscore fantasy. So please go ahead and follow us on all of those platforms. Give us a like. Go ahead and click subscribe. Leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. You can do star reviews on Spotify. We'd love to get your feedback. Very excited to see you know where that goes in the future there. And then when it comes to the show itself and where you can find us, you can find us wherever you do get your podcasts. So if you're an Apple user, you can find us on Apple Podcasts. If you're an Android user, you can find us on Spotify, Google Play, iHeartRadio, Audible, Podbean, the list goes on and on. Wherever they've got podcasts that play, Chase and Josh and Factor Fantasy are there. So with that being said, we're out for the day. You know this has been another ridiculous production. Chase and Josh. Factor Fantasy. Signing, Signing off. off.